Welcome back to Shadow on the Water. This is our 10th podcast, and I'm thrilled to be with you again one more time. I just want to say thank you for the generosity that you uh, have sitting at the feet of Jesus with me. And I just invite you to sit at his feet during this um, podcast and just pay attention to him because he's going to be opening things in your heart and your mind for you, whether it's in line with what I'm saying or not, because we're gathered here in the name of Jesus. So thank you. Thank you for your generosity. So Jesus, we bless you. We thank you. We honor you. We come into your presence and we just are so grateful that we have you. We need one thing. One thing is sufficient, Jesus says. One thing. And we have it. It is you, Jesus. You are that one thing. And you died that we might have you. So like today I'd like to just talk about the great gift that comes from poverty. Jesus um, has, he, he uh, witnesses a woman put two coins in uh, the treasury, the offering at uh, the temple. And he points out to his disciples that this woman has given more than all the rest. As all the other people are coming and giving substantial gifts, she puts two small little coins that are not worth very much at all. And he says, these are worth more than all the rest because they have given out of their abundance. But this woman, out of her poverty, has given her whole life. Uh, It's translated as livelihood, but um, it's literally just her whole life. She's given her whole self. She had nothing else to give, so she just gave everything, which is not enough. Right? It's not enough to cover the, um, the needs of the temple. But she's given more than all the rest. That's just profound. Um, there's a poverty there. And uh, once I was kneeling before my crucifix uh, praying and I had an open vision. And I've had very few open visions. But I saw with my own eyes, I saw two silver coins drop out of the the uh, mouth of Jesus on the cross. Tiny little silver coins. I saw them with my eyes and I looked down on the altar to try and find them because I was kneeling right there. And I was just shocked. I just saw two silver coins drop out of his mouth. And it, it was it was remarkable. That was a, maybe a year and a half, two years ago. Um, and I didn't understand it uh, for a long time. And then uh, I was uh, sitting, uh, I'm sorry, I went to Mass in uh, New York with the CFRs. I was at uh, giving help, give this kind of retreat and equipping thing uh, with the CFRs in uh, New York. And um, I was giving a talk later that day, but uh, in the morning I went to to, uh, Mass, and as I received Jesus, I saw Jesus differently than I'd ever seen him. Um... I didn't see it like an open vision, but I went to receive the Eucharist, and there's this, I think it was one of the brothers. He had no shoes on. He was in his robe. He had a long beard, shaven head, 
this Franciscan brother, and he's he's um, placed the Eucharist on my tongue. He said, you know, body of Christ, and place the Eucharist on my tongue. And as I went to my pew, in my spirit, I saw Jesus as a poor man, as a pauper. It wasn't uh, Jesus, King of Kings, who gives from his abundance. He was Jesus as a poor man. And he said to me about the Eucharist, because I was just asking him, like, Jesus, help me to receive you. Like, I didn't even know, like, how do I do this right? I, I just feel like I don't know how to receive him. You know? And uh, I felt him say to me, it's all that I have. And I literally felt the meagerness of the, uh, the gift of the Eucharist. It was this tiny little wafer in my mouth. It wasn't even a full bite of uh, of something. If I took a bite of a hot dog or a sandwich or a mouthful of chips or something, it would be more substantial than what was in my mouth than the gift that Jesus had given me. It was very small. And I saw him as a very poor man with nothing to give. And I heard him say, it's all that I have. And I started to weep in the church. And I went and did a prayer session on our OMC that we do on uh, every Friday. We do a Holy Spirit prayer session. I invite you to join. Join the OMC. We, uh, you subscribe. You pay $20 a month. And uh, it supports the ministry. And uh, But it's also just a powerful time of prayer that we have every Friday. There's other stuff as well that you have. But I went and did that whole prayer session right after Mass. And I wept through most of it. And then I came to the church immediately after OMC to give my talk to the people in the retreat. And I cried through the whole thing. I couldn't stop crying because of this poor man standing in front of me. Um, I saw Jesus like that brother, like that Franciscan brother, or like the Franciscan priest there. Poor, no shoes on, a pauper, a beggar. And he said to me, it's all that I have. He had given me a gift, the Eucharist, and he said, it's all that I have. And I didn't, I just cried. I, I, it was a gift of his, out of his poverty. It wasn't him giving to me out of um, his abundance. It was giving out of his poverty. Now, with, you know, you, you're going to have to forgive me as I'm describing the Eucharist this way. It sounds almost like blasphemy, but just bear with me here. So, um, as I've been unpacking this since, it's come up over and over again. It's redefining my whole understanding of the Christian faith. Um, just reflecting back on that moment when I had received the Eucharist, I, I had this little meager, not enough gift. Not enough for a meal. I didn't. A lot of times when I receive the Eucharist, I don't necessarily have this powerful, like, spiritual experience. I have before, but not every time, you know. A lot of times I'm just trying to share a moment of intimacy with the Lord and give thanks and recognize this is truly his body and his blood. So here I'm, I have Jesus in me, and I felt Jesus say, it's all that I have. And I start weeping. And I asked him, well, what do I give to you? 
And he said, just give me your yes. And I was like, it somehow redefined. I saw it in a new way. I saw Jesus, a poor man, standing before me, giving me, not out of his abundance, but out of his poverty, giving me everything he had, which is his very life in the Eucharist. And it purposefully being a tiny little wafer instead of a big mouthful or a whole plate of food or something of substance, a poverty, a poor gift. I mean, imagine it. The wafer it doesn't even taste like anything. It doesn't fill you up. It doesn't solve your problems, right? If you're hungry, doesn't can't clothe you. Or um, I mean, it sounds blasphemous. We know Jesus can, and that Jesus is that the Eucharist is Jesus. But but look at how He comes to you. He comes to you in poverty, a tiny, tiny gift. And I saw that He was a poor man, having nothing else to give me. So he gave me his very self. And it was perfectly like he, he came down, he condescended down to my level where I am a poor man who has nothing to offer the Lord but my misery, you know, anything good I have any, is a gift from him to begin with. So here I am in my poverty with my sin and, and the flesh, my concupiscence and my meager attempt to try and live out a good Christian life what do I have to offer him I'm a poor man and he's calling me to be a city on a hill or you know the light of the world salt of the earth and truthfully he's put a call in my life for shadow on the water and helping uh, people of faith come into the fullness of their identity as sons and daughters and I cannot do that I pray over people for healing and they get healed but I don't know how to heal anyone. He's asking me to do something that I do not know how to do. I prayed over a text message the other day. Uh, a guy came home from the hospital from his uh, open heart surgery, and they had been instructing him to breathe and to cough a certain way, and he hadn't been doing it. And his breathing was sporadic and not right, and he had all this anxiety because of it, and his family was super worried about him, and they sent me a text uh, through somebody else. And I prayed over the text message. I just asked, and I saw angels opening up his his breathing ways, like his uh, lungs and things. And I didn't even write back. And a little while later, they wrote back and said, you must have prayed because his breathing was completely restored to him right away after we sent the text, and his anxiety is totally under control. And then the next day, they sent another update. Same. So praise Jesus. I mean, God is moving, and people are, are asking me for prayer. I don't know how to heal him. He's asking me to do something that I don't know how to do. I do know how to do one thing, and that is to say yes and take a risk. And I saw Jesus in the Eucharist. I'm sorry, Jesus in the priest or the brother. You know, I saw. I didn't see him. I I received the Eucharist, went and sat down, and I in my spirit saw Jesus standing before me as a poor man offering me the little tiny thing that he had, all that he had, which was his very self. You have to imagine Jesus on the cross. He has been reduced to a place where of utter failure where he can't do anything for anyone. 
I, I never saw him on the because I've always seen the the crucifixion through the eyes of faith. So what is um, you know foolishness to Greeks and a stumbling block to Jews? Um, to the, through the eyes of faith, we see it as the ultimate victory. But the Lord is like taking me back. Now look at the crucifixion. Look at it. He was reduced to utter failure and couldn't do anyone for anything for anyone. And I, for instance, like in very practical ways, if you approach Jesus on the cross and you asked him to like scratch your ear, <laughs> he couldn't do it. He was pinned to the cross. If you asked him for a shirt, can you give me a shirt or a pair of shoes or $5 to go buy some food? He literally had nothing. He was naked. His hands were pinned so he couldn't even, you know, hand you a Kleenex. He could do nothing for you. And because he was reduced to that absolute poverty, he gave you everything he had left, which was his mom. And then um, he bowed his head. He said it is finished. He bowed his head and gave over his spirit. So I saw, started to see the Eucharist in this way. It wasn't coming from his abundance. Jesus, the King of Kings, who is um, everything belongs to him, all the world, and he could give you a whole nation, or it could give you a planet, or I don't know. He could, you know, all these spiritual gifts and all this. No, no, no. This is Jesus, the poor, condemned man, who had nothing else he could give you, so he gave you his very self. Take my flesh and eat it. It's a um, a gift. What a gift. I heard a homily one time where the priest was saying, you know, the gifts that you give, they, they should be sacrificial. He said, you know, a, think about your breakfast. A hen contributes an egg. The pig contributes bacon. The hen can walk away from its gift, right, and give again another day or, I don't know, it doesn't, it costs him one day's, uh, labor the pig can't walk away from that um, it's like Jesus gave you his whole self so I'm seeing like out of his poverty he is like the widow the widow who has given more than all the rest because they gave out of their abundance which is how I treat the Lord I give him a little bit of time you know I give him I give him a little bit of, of myself she, out of her poverty, gave her whole life. It says her whole livelihood in one of the Gospels, but it's, I think the word is bion. It's just basically a, basically bios, which is life. She gave her whole life. And I saw those two coins fall from Jesus' mouth on the cross, and I, this has all come back to me since that Mass over the last several months. Oh, my goodness. He has given to me his whole self out of a place of poverty. It's the first beatitude. Blessed are the poor in spirit. The kingdom of God will be theirs. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Those who give out of their poverty, meaning God's going to call you to something you cannot do, something uh, you can't afford, something you simply 
is not possible for you to do by yourself. And the Lord's been just reframing Christianity through this lens for me. It's been really, really beautiful. Because at its base, there are two people. There is Jesus, the poor man. And there is me, the poor man, in my sin and my weakness and my frailty and my inconsistency and whatever, you know. I just like, there's, there's two poor people, okay? And one poor man said to the other one, I love you, and gave his whole self to him. And then this poor man responds with, I love you too, and I give my whole self to you. And we've met on level ground. You know how Jesus like speaks to the, uh, the disciples. He comes down onto a piece of level ground, and he speaks to him from there. He condescends. He comes down. He humbles himself. For he did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at. It's something that is given. He is poor, I am poor, and the two of us give ourselves totally to each other, and we just, and we, and I follow him to change the world. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? And so I've been seeing it this way, seeing my approach to Jesus this way. And it's absolutely beautiful. He, um, you know, he says, uh, you know, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And uh, I've heard it explained this way. Uh, in our Encounter Ministries, we had this class. I, I went through their two-year school. You know, I mentioned that before. And they talked about the leaven of Herod and the leaven of the Pharisees. They described the leaven of Herod as being like just practical atheism. You know, God exists, but I'm just going to do what I need to do for me, you know. And uh, and then you have the leaven of the Pharisees was basically God exists. He's at the center of everything, but there's no power. There's no Holy Spirit that actually comes and does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. It sits on our own shoulders. So we have to accomplish our righteousness through the law. And it bears fruit, that kind of false leaven, no faith in the power of God, that false leaven bears fruit in condemnation. So that if something bad happens, oh, it's because you were a sinner or your parents were a sinner. Oh, it's because he was healing on the Sabbath. You know, you're doing work on the Sabbath. If you would just get your act together and f obey the law, then life would be good. It's on us because God's not going to do it for us. We got to do, we have to be righteous. And then, um, uh, then the kingdom of God will look the way it's supposed to look. So the, so the way they describe this false leaven is like you look at how the kingdom of God is supposed to look, you look at how your life actually looks, and then you draw this narrative to explain why it doesn't. And that doesn't look the way it's supposed to look. That narrative that you've drawn is false leaven. And it, um, it basically just cooperates with the flesh, and then you put all of your... You try to earn the love of God, you're in competition, you're... You're striving and toiling, and you get exhausted, okay? And you bear very little fruit. And this is where the church is just constantly, you know, a lot of our efforts, because we're all just kind of having this identity crisis. We don't realize, we're not, we don't have faith in the power of God, and that it's his gratuitous gift. And to come from a place of poverty, and to put all of our faith, I mean, the church knows this in her teachings, 
right? It's not that. It's and the, the, it's totally demonstrated in the saints' lives of the saints and in Scripture, in the teachings of the church. But the way we actualize our faith, I'm talking about us as a, our day-to-day lives. And so we have all this condemnation. I mean, just look, look, look around. There's condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. Whereas um, the true leaven is, well, we need to feed 5,000 people. Well, what do we have? Well, we have nothing, and it would take 200 days of wages. Wouldn't even feed them. So you should have dismissed them. You know, what are you thinking? Bringing them here—that would be the condemnation of the Pharisees. And uh, uh, if they were in that conversation, and Jesus says, "Well, what do we have?" And then they say, "Well, there's a small boy here who has five loaves and two fish." Imagine this little kid who walks up and he's like, "Hey, I got—I heard we need to. You know, people are hungry. I've got five loaves and two fish." Like he has <laughs> this perspective of. Hey, um, I, he doesn't even think in terms, he doesn't count the cost. He doesn't calculate the cost. Like Jesus says, uh, he says, um, do not, uh, um, he says, take up your cross and follow after me. Otherwise, you'll be like a man who calculates whether he has enough to finish the building. When he goes to lay the foundation, he's, he'll calculate Oh, do I have enough to finish? And uh, and then he won't build the building because he'll realize he doesn't. Or or a guy who has ten thousand men, and he has to go against an army of twenty thousand, and uh, he'll think, hmm, can I actually beat this army of twenty thousand? And he'll send a peace delegation out to or, uh, to to represent him to ask for peace, for peace terms. And he's like, basically, Jesus is saying. I'm calling you to build a building you can't afford to build. You're going to lay a foundation for a building you'll never finish. Or I'm calling you to go fight against that army of 20,000, and I don't want you to send a delegation to ask for peace. I want you to fight. But you only have 10,000 men. Don't calculate. Do not calculate. You know, that word in Greek for calculate is uh, in that scripture. I think it's in Luke 14, I'm pretty sure. He says... um, that word for calculate, it means smooth stones. Smooth stones, because they use these smooth stones for making calculations. Think, who else had smooth stones? David. Did David calculate, well, I'm only this tall, and Goliath is that tall. <laughs> Did he come up with some other plan or try to make peace? No, he went out to fight. He didn't calculate the cost. Isn't that cool? Um, that, that There's that connection there. Don't calculate it because I'm calling you to to something you could never do. I'm calling you to respond out of a place of poverty. So that instead of giving me out of your abundance, you'll give to me your whole self. Because I don't want part of you. I want all of you. And then with the true leaven of Jesus, of the Holy Spirit, right? What does Jesus do? He takes the five loaves and two fish of this little kid. It's like, you laugh at this kid. like, uh, thanks a lot, buddy, but I need a lot more than that. <laughs> he takes the five loaves and two fish, and he miraculously makes it enough. That's the leaven of the Holy Spirit is that the power of God can do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. This comes back in uh, Judges 14. I'm sorry. It's a, I'm just looking backwards. I was praying, and the Lord led me to Judges 14, where Samson is going to meet 
this uh, introduces parents to this uh, woman, this Philistine woman that he wants to marry. And this lion, a young lion comes at him roaring. And it says the Holy Spirit or the Spirit of God rushed upon him and he tore the lion to pieces the way a man would tear a small goat. And he had no tool in his hand. Okay, He had no tool, no weapon. What they're framing here is that Samson responded to this out of his poverty. He had nothing to fight the lion with. And Samson, we all think of Samson, oh, he had superhuman strength. No, no, he had the Holy Spirit. Okay, so he responded out of a place of poverty. And the Spirit of God rushed on him. That word rushed in Hebrew, it means uh, a lot of places in Scripture is translated as prosper. It prospered on him, which means to break you forth into good things. Okay, So the power of God came on him and did for him what he could never do for himself, tear that lion to pieces. And then a couple days later, he's passing back by that lion and the carcass. He's, he's walking by and he says he turns aside from his path to go see the carcass. And he sees honeybees there. And he goes and he breaks off some of the honey. And he eats the honey. And I was sitting there with this asking the Lord, what does this mean? What does it mean? And I literally, my heart just melted. I felt the Lord just unveil it for me. That he found in that victory over the carcass, honeybees. Honeybee in Hebrew is davarim. And the root is dabar. So it's basically just dabar plural. It basically just means words. Because a honeybee has this utterance, bzzz, and the word dabar means utterance. So, bzzz, so um, it's, uh, it is the same word as just the word word that's translated in the Septuagint for logos, uh, into logos and into rhema in Greek. Okay, dabar, uh, he says uh, later in the prophets, he says, my word will, I'll send forth my word and it will not return to me unfulfilled. That word is dabar. It is just the most basic word for word or utterance. So, and it comes back in all these derivative, these derivative meanings that you'd never connect like honeybee. Okay. What did Samson find there? He found the word, the, the word, the word that is Jesus, okay, that I will come and do for you what you could never do for yourself. I will prosper you. I will, f I, you know, Jesus says, it is good that I go to the Father because we will send you the advocate. Amazing. And then there's this other word in there that's really beautiful. Um, it's the word for he took the honey. Usually take in uh, Hebrew is lakach, but they didn't use that word. They used a different word. It's the word in Genesis for it first comes when when God creates man and woman and he says, Go and take dominion over the earth. Dominion. That's the word. He dominioned the honey. <laughs> so it there's this this connotation of like, this is how you take dominion over the earth. Even him telling man, go and take dominion over the earth was calling him to give out of his poverty because man can't do that. But by the power of God, 
It's with God. It's in unity with the Lord. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. He'll prosper us to be able to do what we could never do on our own. And then if you look even back, here's when God creates the heavens and the earth, he's creating everything out of nothing. He starts from a place of poverty. And then creates everything out of nothing. And we who are made in his image and likeness are to do the same, to start from a place of not having enough, formless and void, and respond to the call of God um, and the Holy Spirit and in union with God, we will be able to do what we could never do on our own. Unbelievable that God has modeled it from the very beginning. And then here is Jesus from the cross saying, can we be together again? I have nothing to, else to give you. I've been reduced to utter failure. I give you my whole self. It's just beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then the uh, this moment of Jesus dying and giving over the one thing he had left, which is his very life. <laughs> oh, it's just incredible. Filled with the power of God. Though on the out though to um though it's a place of utter poverty. But it's such an encouragement because he is not asking you to do something that he has not already done. He's saying, No, no, no. I'm a poor man. You're a poor man or woman. I, I'm going to give my whole self to you because I have nothing else to give because I'm on the cross, okay? I've been reduced and my hands are, are completely uh, nailed to this cross. I can't move them. I can't give you my shirt because I don't have one. I'm naked. I can't give you advice because I can't breathe. But I'll give you my very life. What does he give? What, what is it? What's the great penultimate gift he gave? His mom. He saw his mother standing with the disciple whom he loved. Okay, that's you. You are the disciple whom he loves. So as he's approaching the very end, he gives you his mom. Take her into your the uh, woman. Behold your son. Behold your mother. And from that moment, he took her into his own. It doesn't say into his home. In the Greek, it says to his own. And then seeing that all things were finished. He said, I thirst. And they give him a little bit of wine with a, with a hyssop branch. This is, this is fulfilling the Passover because they would spread the, the blood on the lintel of the door with a hyssop branch. And then he bowed his head and gave over his spirit. Oh, it's so beautiful. Because Jesus isn't coming to you you know, seated on his throne on high, he comes to you like in, a, I think it's Ezekiel 9, comes to you humble and riding on a donkey. He comes to you as a poor man. He comes to save you. Your king comes to save you. Humble and riding on a donkey. Powerful. He comes as a poor man. It's so encouraging because it's like 
He wants me to have to rely on the Holy Spirit for anything and everything that I'm called to do. My marriage, uh, my being a citizen, my being a friend. But here's the great thing is that I totally have him. I have him 100% because he didn't have anything else to give me, so he gave me his whole self. So the one thing I need is him, and I have him. That means everything that goes along with being him, okay? Because I have him, I have the Father. And I have the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that changes everything. So I can, for my part, is just to say yes to each thing. Like praying over that text message. Um, gosh, praying with the... I was praying with a, uh, uh, there's this young man that he's about to um, enter into the next phase of his life and he's pretty nervous. So he asked my wife and I to pray with him. He came over, we prayed with him. And I just had this image of, of as we were praying with him, like, I don't, I don't, I've tried to like help people with good advice before and it has not worked. <laughs> okay. I've walked with people even for years just kind of try to build them up, try and give them good advice, commiserate. Oh, this is what worked for me. Didn't help at all. Actually made things worse. So I'm careful about this. I don't want to, I'm not a counselor, right? I'm not someone to, I, so I tell them, well, I, we can pray. That's all we can do is pray. So I asked, we just asked the Holy Spirit, what is your heart for this young man? And uh, it was amazing what, what what happened there was a moment this is so good i just had this image you know i i don't have anything for him but the holy spirit has everything for him so in my poverty i just asked the lord lord what what do you want to tell him and my wife was kind of speaking some words to him and praying out and i had this image of just like jesus saying when you get dragged before governors and kings and whatever you know, rulers, judges, pre don't prepare your words. The Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say in that moment. And I just had this image of that, and I had this image of him like trying to spend years studying and preparing for when he's going to be on trial. And then um, coming, getting on trial and giving his answer. And then Jesus saying, okay, that schematic, no. You're not going to do that. I don't want you to prepare at all. I want you to prepare nothing. I want you to enter it from a place of poverty. You're going to be on trial. You have no clue how to defend yourself. And the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say in that moment. And as I, I kid you not, as I sat there with that in my head, I was like, wow, wow. It's a place of poverty. And God will provide. He'll just give it. Um, what you can't do for yourself, he will do it for you. And um and he precisely wanted them to be from a place of poverty. Remember in Acts 4, when they're before the judges, the, judge, the judges, uh, the Pharisees look at them and say, <coughs> they saw that they were common, uneducated men and that they had been with Jesus. They were common, uneducated men and that they had been with Jesus. Okay, I love that. That's the only thing they knew they could tell about them. They had been with Jesus, and these guys didn't have anything else. I love that. And what does Peter do? Peter just gives it to him. He just gives him the gospel. 
but hear it. I had this image for this young guy, and I'm, I was like, I, I guess I could, should share that. I was like, should I share that with him, Lord? As I'm just praying quietly while my wife is speaking truth to him and praying, giving her, him the words she got. And I looked on the table in front of me. There was a, a, a cup from McDonald's. We had a, a mocha, you know. Um, and on the side of the cup was a receipt that was taped on there. And it had the number 1212, 1212. And I'm just looking at that. And it was just highlighted to me. And I felt the Lord say, Luke 1212. Look it up. Oh, okay. So I looked up Luke 12, 12, and it literally says, the Holy Spirit will give you what you are to say in that moment. <laughs> it was the exact scripture I had been just that the Lord had been just giving to me. Do you see now? I, that's why I would say even, oh, the Lord had been giving it to me. That's how I know it's not just my own imagination. Okay. It was confirmed. So I shared that with him and it built him up. That's what he needed to hear. It's okay that you're you're entering this phase of your life from a place of poverty. Come on, Jesus. That is just awesome. So I just want to encourage you as you go into this, uh, whatever phase of life you're in now, especially your next prayer time, because you're constantly trying to pray right. Okay? You're going to try to worship right you're going to try to uh, receive the eucharist right i don't know you're going to try and do it right and um i'm going to just encourage you to enter into it from a place of poverty where you don't know how to do it you and god's not expecting you to that he will actually be also a poor person with you and the two of you will meet face to face on level ground Face to face, you'll meet on level ground. And the Holy Spirit will do for you what you cannot do for yourself. So say yes to the next prayer time from a place of poverty. And it's exactly where he's coming from. I was praying with this and um, the Lord showed me, uh, um, had me, I was looking, he just highlighted certain words for me. The word for likeness Okay, you have the image of God, but we're made in the image of God. Tzelem, that's in our first podcast. It's about, it's where the word shadow on the water comes from, the title of, and mission of our ministry. Tzelem, that's image. You're made in the image of God, but you're made in the image and likeness. Damut in Hebrew. Damut. And it's um, the, the word dama, the, the, the denominative, the, the three-letter root means basically, and its most basic meaning is to compare. So likeness, to compare. Um, it's often translated as they, they made a plan in the Old Testament. He, they made a plan. So think about this. When you're planning something, you say, okay, you go to the right, you go to the left, you go down the middle. And then you go and you do it and you try to match up what you do to be equal to what you planned, okay? So um, so the plan of God, think about this, is comes from this word, the likeness of God. But that word to compare, com in, um, in Latin means uh, with, and par means equal. 
with equal. So you're made in the likeness of God. There's an equality that is being inferred there. Now fast forward to Philippians 2 where St. Paul says he didn't deem equality with God something to be grasped at. You know, you imagine Adam and Eve grasping at to be like God, but they were already like him. They were made in his image and his damut, his likeness. They were already had that equality. And here, um, this is crazy. I know it sounds crazy, but he didn't deem equality with God something to be grasped at. That Greek word that is used in uh, Philippians 2 is the root word for isosceles, triangle, where you have the three, three angles are the same. Okay, it means the same, equal. Isos, I think, is the, or isos is the word. I'm, I'm, I think that's how you pronounce it. So, he didn't deem equality with God something to be grasped at. So, he emptied himself, taking human likeness, taking human form, okay, being made in the image of man. Come on. What does Jesus constantly refer to himself as? The son of man. He's, he's identifying with us. He's coming down onto le level ground. Two poor people, and out of their poverty, giving their whole selves to each other. Isn't that gorgeous? Um, there's this scripture that I have don't fully understand, but Hebrews 2.11 that the Lord brought to me earlier. Uh, he's talking about how Jesus became our sanctifier. Okay, and how he it was pleased to him that he had to suffer. And but he gets to in, in, in the verse 11, he says, so that the sanctifier, the sanctifier, Jesus and the sanctified us have the same source. Just that line, the sanctified and the sanctifier have the same source. It's like Jesus is just sharing everything with us. It just blows my mind. It just somehow takes me to that level ground. I am the sinner who is unworthy of the love of God, who has hurt him and hurt others and hurt myself. And he, blameless, came and died for me. But he stands, he has lowered himself to the point of standing on level ground with me. And he's saying, we have the same source. We come from the same place, and we're headed to the same place. Come with me. Come be belong to me. I'm giving my whole self to you so that you can be sanctified. Can you just respond by giving your whole self back to me? Like He doesn't just want to have me receive his love. He wants me. He wants me, and he's brought himself all the way down to my level so the two of us can have each other. He's removed every obstacle. It's mind-blowing. And do I just want to jump on that train or not? Wow. So just like approaching Jesus in that way. He's giving out of his poverty, and I'm going to give out of my power. And I just give you my, my whole yes. Out of my poverty, I have nothing else to give you, Jesus. I have my shame, my weaknesses. I'm going to betray you. Like a, 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 our good friend Father Cashin, he said he, we were up visiting him 
been doing an event up there in Minneapolis. He's a Dominican priest. He said, he said, you know what Philip Neri would say in the morning? He would look up to God and he would point to himself, Philip would, and he would say, watch out for this one today. He will betray you. Isn't that awesome? I love it. It's like he knew himself well. You keep an eye. You watch out for this guy, Jesus. He will betray you today. He was fully aware of his own weakness. And I, 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 that's where I stand in that. That's where we stand in this poverty of not being able to be the awesome, super uber apostle that Jesus needs or awesome spouse that will bring him joy and happiness and never betray him. I'm like, sorry, Jesus. I lift my heel against you all the time. Anytime I'm in the flesh, I'm lifting my heel against him. In the Psalms, remember it says like the, the, the one who shared my bread in whom I trusted has lifted his heel against me. The word heel is akeb in the Hebrew. It is what the serpent strikes at. In Jeremiah 17, he describes it as, as basically the flesh. Above all things, the heart deceives akeb. It swells. It means to swell out. That's why it means the heel. Above all things, the heart deceives. Desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I alone search the heart and test the mind and repay to each man according to his deeds. So the flesh is constantly swelling out against God. It's me trying to save myself, trying to pay my own bill, trying to be good enough, trying to be worthy, trying to elevate myself and use religion to do it because I feel like I'm in a pit and I have to somehow get out of it. And so I'm going to pray the rosary and I'm going to go to mass and be be generous so that people won't think that I'm the horrible person that I think I am on the inside. Okay, all that self-condemnation and, listen, you know, I'm a whitewashed tomb. Um, I, I make a, here's Mike Nolan here. I devour the homes of widows and make a pretense of long prayers. I mean, come on. Ouch! Here I am asking people. I've called a wonderful, wonderful woman to ask for donations. Her husband just died a little while ago, and she's trying desperately to put peace things together. And I was like, my gosh, you devour the homes of widows, and you make a pretense of long prayers. God have mercy on my soul. But I have this, so I'm trembling working out my salvation in, in fear. I'm trembling, okay? And I have to somehow be your spouse. But Jesus says, don't worry. I am also giving from a place of poverty. Me saying yes to Jesus and just saying, okay, I'm just going to belong to you is from a place of poverty. I'm not enough. I will betray you. In that psalm, it's a, he, it literally says, the man of my peace in whom I trusted. That word trust, chasa, it means to, to um, refuge in. So imagine that when you, he's the, the man who ate my bread. When you eat the Eucharist, he's refuging in you. You are the man of his peace. And then when you act in the flesh, you raise your heel against him like Judas. Philip Neri knew this. And I knew it. When I, when I was praying through that scripture, I wept because I know how real it is. When I'm in the flesh, St. Paul says the flesh cannot serve God. It is in constant rebellion against God. Only in the spirit can you serve God. So I might this war, this battle between my spirit and the flesh. God have mercy. And uh, remember the flesh just meaning like me, my ego. 
that's basically it. Me having to survive. Me having to be uh, substantiated. Me in competition with my own death. Is you in competition? In competition with my last prayer time. In competition what it looks like to be a, a good Christian. Jesus is like, there is no competition for the son. You're a son and you got that sonship because I died for you and gave you my sonship. And now here we are, two poor people. Can we just belong to each other now? And then together you become like Samson who can just tear a lion apart with bare hands with no tool in your, no tool, no weapon. You're able to take dominion. You're able to become a, a pot, an influence for the kingdom of God uh, in the world. You'll, you'll be able to do things. You'll be able to pray over a text message and person will get healed. To do things that you cannot do. And the kingdom gets demonstrated. And people are set free. So Jesus wants, he wants you as you are. He wants you a poor person. He doesn't want you showing up with Saul's armor on. He wants you like David who doesn't calculate. So that you'll depend on the Holy Spirit and then the Holy Spirit can do what he can do in you. Okay? Isn't that gorgeous? So the measure of what can be done is the measure of the very power of God. But for me, it is to say yes, despite my not being enough. It's to give out of a place of poverty. I'm seeing it for my next prayer time, for the next time I receive the Eucharist, next time I worship, especially in, in, uh, in, my, uh, in building the kingdom of God, taking dominion over the earth. Oh, it's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. There's an equality with God there. He's actually, you know, he, he's in this sense that he wants to do it with me. He doesn't want to do it in another way. He doesn't want to just come and do it himself. He wants to do it with me because he loves me and he wants me. He wants to get me in the process and for me to get him. In fact, that's the main thing, right? Because he, he, out of an act of sheer goodness, out of a motivation of love, he created me. Oh, it's just so beautiful. So let's uh, just look to the Lord right now in your heart. Just tell him, Yes, Lord, I give you my whole self. I give you my inabilities and my weaknesses and my failure and shame, my misery, and I give you everything good about me. I give it all to you, Lord. Out of my poverty, I just say yes to you, Lord. Everything that I have is yours because I know that you have given me everything of yourself. Everything you have is mine, and everything that I have is yours. Oh, I just invite you to take a time of prayer and just sit with that. Sit with the Lord, receiving the whole of who He is, everything. It's just amazing that the that's what we get in the Eucharist is this. It's a puny gift. Remember he says one thing is sufficient. Su sufficient. 
Puny is sufficient, is what it's basically saying in the Greek. Puny is sufficient. She has chosen the good part and will not be taken from her. Puny is this gift God gives you, this tiny little wafer. It's tiny. It is, And he says to you, it's all that I have. I don't have something more than that to give you. My goodness, it is his very life. It's his very flesh. It is the flesh of his heart, his beating heart under distress on the cross. He's giving to you his whole self as a poor person out of his poverty. And so you can just respond. Yes, Lord. And I give you my whole self with my yes. I receive you and I give you my whole self. Amen. I'd like to invite you to visit shadowonthewater.com and uh, check out our OMC, the online mentoring community. We gather every Friday and we pray in the Holy Spirit for like for several hours. You can it's an awesome opportunity to gather and just be refreshed in the Holy Spirit. It's kind of like this podcast, but it's literally like three or four hours long. <laughs> but you can just rest and just soak. And we, we also record it and post it so that you can um, just absorb it in your own time. But it's just to be in this culture of the Holy Spirit, to be renewed in your mind, to be refreshed and brought to full life in Christ, heaven on earth, and to be connecting with other people who are also on that same journey is the kingdom of God. So I'd like to invite you. We're also hosting some retreats across uh, the nation. On, uh, you'll, you'll find out about those on shadowonthewater.com. We're going to the Holy Land next year for a Holy Week in Triduum, Easter. And then we're going to Medjugorje right after that. So you can join us. Uh, we'll go to Medjugorje a couple other times next year as well. We're going to be doing a lot. And we really want to invite you to come be a part of it. The Holy Spirit is moving. He's going to fill you and bless you and empower you to do what you cannot do for yourself. So come and join us. We invite you. Come check us out at shadowonthewater.com. Mm-hmm.